Hello, and welcome to the Locked On Flyers podcast for Wednesday, October 3rd. Your daily dose of Flyers news, analysis, and high-quality content, including our very first guest. We're your hosts. I'm Danielle. And I'm Rachel. Make sure to subscribe to Lockdown Flyers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get all of our episodes each and every day here on the Lockdown Sports Network. Today, Mary Clark is here, and she's the NHL editor at Fansided, and we talked to her over the weekend about the Flyers and how they're doing so far, and then talked to her a little bit more about what's going on around the league. And then we will have our weekly mailbag. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnFlyers. Tweet us your questions for our mailbag or tell us what you think about how the Flyers are doing so far this season. You can also email us at LockedOnFlyers at gmail.com. Welcome to Mary Clark, who's NHL editor for Finsided. Hey, Mary. Hey, Rachel. I'm doing well. Uh, Thank you guys for having me on this podcast. I really love it. We're so excited to have you here as you have a strong Flyers background, but also are super knowledgeable about the NHL overall. So could you just tell us about your hockey and Flyers origin story? Yeah, sure. Um, I got started watching hockey uh, probably in like late middle school. Um, I'm from the Philadelphia area originally. Uh, so obviously my fandom trended towards Philadelphia teams and of course the Flyers. Uh, my one really good friend got me into hockey. Um, and it's kind of been my life ever since. Um, I've been following the Flyers for years. Um, at first I didn't think I could make a career out of it just cause I enjoyed, I just enjoyed the sport. I didn't realize I could do, oh yes, I can write. And yes, I do sports. I can do both. Uh, but that wasn't until college until I figured that out. And since then I've, Covered Flyers games. I did some things at Broad Street Hockey. I was previously freelancing for The Athletic. Um, I did a bunch of features there for The Athletic and their coverage um, about the Flyers. Um, while the Flyers are my, like, main team, I do cover now the NHL as a whole, but I obviously will love the Flyers um, for a very long time, and that's kind of where I got my So Amazing. So what would you say kind of – made you fall in love with the Flyers? Um, in general, it, hockey in general is just such a fun sport. And, of course, being from Philadelphia, um, it it was only natural for me to fall in love with the Flyers themselves. But I always loved with the pace that they played. Um, I mean, I, the, my real big, like, memories were, of course, the, the Stanley Cup run in 2010 uh, was huge for me. That was in the like middle of my fandom of sorts, but that was like such a, a huge memory for me. Um, I really loved all that type of stuff. Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, uh, those type of players really like sucked me into Flyers hockey and got me buying into the, the fun, gritty culture, I guess you could say. Um, I really love that type <laughs> of stuff. And yeah, I've been a fan of the team ever since. And while there's been ups and downs in recent years, I'm high on the team. Uh, I really think that, with the with the young players they have and the new culture around the team, I really think they can go places. So I hope it works out, and we'll see what happens this season. So speaking of that, how would you rate the Flyers' offseason moves from over the summer, and were you surprised by any of them? Um, the Hayes signing was a surprise to me, the the 
sign and trade thing. Uh, I really enjoyed that because um, I thought the Flyers really did need a second line center. I mean, now he's playing first line center. Uh, but I re- really thought that that added like something to their core that they didn't really have. I mean, Nolan Patrick, I really like him. He's just at this moment kind of unproven. And of course he's injured too. So that, that the Hayes signing really in the off season uh, really has paid dividends for them so far. Um, I like that. I mean, a lot of their moves were like um, exterior moves, stuff that like you don't necessarily like. They didn't go out and get any like anybody super flashy. Hayes was the major flashy moment, uh, but that happens like before free agency and before like before all the moves started to kick in, like in the in the off season. So I saw a lot of Flyers fans, you know, wondering where the big moves are. But I really think the Hayes move will pay a bunch of dividends uh, in the season as we start to get rolling. And how do you feel about the triple-headed ex-head coach monster that the (laughs) Flyers have put together? Uh, I think it's neat that they have such a large amount of coaching experience behind the bench. I saw, I don't remember the specific numbers, it was a while ago, but I saw that they have, like, are head and shoulders above every other team in the NHL in terms of, like, combined coaching experience from their head coach and assistants. I like Vigneau from what I've seen so far. I think he brings, like, a certain thing. Maxwell was definitely not a bad dude by any means. I mean, I talked to him a few times, obviously, when I was covering the team. Uh, but he was always, not to say chill, but he always just was, like, had a very, like, neutral, like, uh, tone and expression. Vigneault was always seems to be, like, fired up, having fun, uh, that type of stuff. So I really think that that's going to be a good change for this team. Uh, and the head and the assistant coaches, uh, I think they're going to add a bunch of experience back there. We'll see if it works. I mean, I know between the between Yo and Terry that uh, there was um, like, you know, they had uh, mixed results in terms of coaching experience. But uh, I think it's I think it's going to be neat to see what they do. Yeah, I think especially on uh, special teams so far, mm-hmm. I think that change in coaching has has already paid dividends. Yes. Mm-hmm. No more, uh, no more lappy on the, on the penalty yeah. kill. <laughs> <laughs> that was tragic. I think that was like the mm-hmm. best coaching move they made over the summer was just to take him yeah. off of the penalty kill. Yeah. I get the loyalty to the guy cause he's obviously been around the franchise for a long time, but it wasn't working. So I'm glad that they kept him within the franchise, but moved a different, more effective, uh, uh, power play penalty penalty yeah. kill specialist to the uh, to that role. I think one of the stories of this season so far has been high energy and high shot creation, but the goals haven't exactly been going in. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, what do you think they need to do in order to? jump over that final hurdle to actually get sort of the expected goals versus actual goals right now. I honestly think they just need to keep playing more games. Um, I don't know the statistics on it, but they're, they don't have a huge sample size. I mean, a bunch of teams have like played like eight, nine games already. The Flyers are kind of behind in that regard. Uh, so I think if they keep playing the way that they're playing and I've seen the, the shot metrics and they are dominating the league. I think the goals will come. I mean, it's still, it's mid-October. Like, there's, I know it kind of feels like, like, same old flyers, same old flyers. Oh, no, they came out of that West Coast Road trip with the 2-2-1 record. It's 
It could have it could have been better, but those games minus the Calgary game, they have dominated and they have looked good. Um, it's definitely not like on the eye test the same Flyers that we've seen in previous years. I mean the the record says one thing, but it's early in the season still. A lot of teams are like that. I mean the Oilers have been incredible through the first couple of weeks of the season, and I think they're going to drop off a cliff yes. sometime soon. So <laughs> we know we have seen that. But, yeah, I I do think that we need to give them a little bit more time, and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll see that turnaround from high shot potential to actually scoring those goals. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of who's scoring those goals, do you have any sort of predictions as the season goes on for any standout players or surprise standout players from the team? Um, so far, I really liked Konechny's game. Uh, he really showcased a bunch of that flash. Uh, that new contract's really working out for him, it seems. Uh, so I hope he's got that weight off his back. Provorov, too, I really, I really think is gonna bounce back. I think he's looked good so far. I mean, there were a few moments early on in the first couple of games that were kind of worrying for him with a couple of the turnovers, but I think he's been solid, and I think Provorov also will get that off his back and, um, get that contract off his back and, you know, enjoy playing hockey again without being in a contract year. Um, I think Couturier is going to be, my hope is he'll be a Selkie candidate and maybe win. Uh, that's, that's the hope. I mean, the, the NHL is a huge, is a huge, uh, uh, defensive forward pool that, um, that's an incredible talent, but I really think Couturier could shine. Um, especially because the Flyers, they don't need to always rely on Couturier and Giroux to do stuff. I mean, now you've got Hayes and JVR, I think, could take another step forward in terms of points. Um, so I really think that with the bolstered top six of the Flyers, Couturier is going to shine just because he does, he's not going to have to, it's not going to, everything's not going to have to be on him. He'll be able to play his game and be able to shine defensively in the roles we've already seen him been in so far this season. You mentioned Provi. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the defensive core overall, especially looking at the pairings that have been out there in the first few games of the season and looking at, you know, their shot suppression statistics? They're killing it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because they were going to go with that left, right, left, right, left, right, all down the, like, in the off season. I heard a bunch of talk about that, but I'm not, I don't think that's happened as much. Um, I think it'd be interesting to at least try that, but I don't think you should mess with what's working right now uh, because you're right. The team shot suppression has been an incredible. It's better than we've seen. I mean, there's still some lapses. I mean, uh, the defense got definitely got burned on McDavid's. Uh, McDavid's really, really spectacular highlight goal, but it's also Connor McDavid. There's not really much you can do. Uh, I don't really think they should mess with what's working at the moment, though. I mean, I think you can slide a bunch of those guys up and down the lineup. I mean, I really liked the Provorov-Ghost uh, combo a lot and, you know, using that and moving things around up and down. And if Phil Myers ever gets on the team or Sam Moran wants to jump in, I think that there's enough that they can cycle through to see what works. Um, but I don't I don't know if they should change anything at the moment just because it's not – I don't know. The, the, the problem so far hasn't – it's not really a problem. They just have been getting a bit unlucky in terms of the, the shots not going. And I think if Carter Hart maybe had a little bit of a better game against Edmonton or if 
uh, some of their goals, like their shots went through. I think we'd be maybe be having a little bit of a different conversation just because the record doesn't look as middling as it does. Absolutely. So looking at the Flyers overall and their playoff potential, how do you see them fitting into the Met this year? Um, I think they have a chance. I mean, I, in the off season, I was really thinking about putting the Flyers in the playoffs and Pittsburgh out of the playoffs just because I don't trust Pittsburgh as much as like their roster is, is a shell of what it once was, but they still have Sidney Crosby. So it's hard to root against them. And they've been playing well without Malkin and without a bunch of their forwards because Sidney Crosby is, you know, carrying the team on his back at the moment. So I'm not sure if they could. I don't know. I, 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 I think they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think that the middle of the Metro, um, like New Jersey, of course, has fallen off a cliff so far this season, but I think they're better than like New Jersey, um, the Islanders, the Rangers. Um, I think they're going to be fighting with Pittsburgh for that spot, that, uh, that third spot in the, in the Metro, just because like, I don't see anybody else who could contest Pittsburgh other than Philadelphia. At the moment, uh, but Pittsburgh's been playing so well that it's hard to be like, ah, oh, yes, the Flyers will jump Pittsburgh by the, in the end of the season, but it's so early. It's, it, there's a lot of jockeying for position at the moment, but I really think that the Flyers can contend. Once those goals, once the goals start going through for them, I think they're going to surprise a lot of people and they're going to collect those points really quickly. It's just, it's only been five games. It's really hard to say where they could possibly go because they still have so many more games left. And so with the Metro, do you think it's only going to be three teams to get into the playoffs? Um, it could be four. It's hard because like the three headed monster that is, <laughs> yeah. uh, that the is Atlantic, the, the yeah. Leafs, the, the Lightning. The yeah. And the Bruins. Yeah. I mean, maybe Florida could jump up there. I don't know. It's, it's still early. Like I don't think the Metro has been as, is as dominant mm-hmm. as they once were. I think kind of the power has shifted more to split. When all is said and done and then the Flyers make it, but I don't, I don't know. It's, I think the powers have shifted in the Eastern Conference to be more towards the Atlantic. Cause you used to like, the Metro used to be stacked with like everybody. I mean, the Rangers were competitive, the Flyers, the Penguins, the Capitals. I mean, now it's the Hurricanes that are competitive. So that's, mm-hmm. they've jumped up there, but like, I don't know. I, I, I think that the Atlantic is a bit more powerful than the, than the Metropolitan, but it's hard to say. I mean, ask me again in a few months, I guess, when the playoff race is starting to heat up. And, you know, the, and we've gone back to basically a baseline of, of, uh, of what to expect and nothing like this is the early That's season. Fair. So looking at the league overall, uh, what are kind of the first narratives that have come out of the beginning of the season? Well, I mean, it's gotta be the Oilers, um, going absolutely crazy in the beginning of their, their, their season was Connor McDavid's million points already, and James Neal with his already hitting the goals he's hit uh, he hit last season in like five games. Uh, I don't think anybody was expecting that to be sure. I certainly wasn't. Um, I feel bad for Connor McDavid just because he the team has done such a horrible job putting talent around him to succeed, and I want them. I'm enjoying them being happy for now, but I'm like this isn't going to last. Uh, so I'm. I'm fearful for them because I don't, I don't, I think they're playing above their, 
above what they're expected to do. So I think that they'll probably fall back. I mean, the Devils are a huge story. I mean, they made so many moves in the offseason, and they just have not put it together. I mean, it's just it's been tough because I like Wayne Simmons, obviously, as a former flyer, and I like P.K. Subban as a as a nice human being, and I think Taylor Hall and Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes are the, the a nice core. But, I mean, you already have Taylor Hall, like, trade rumors walking around out there because he might not resign if New Jersey doesn't, you know, uh, have success this season. So I really think that that's a huge story. Um, I mean, obviously, it's, I think, the one a lot of people are talking about because John Hines might yeah. be fired. It's possible. Who knows? I mean, we're still – it's like three weeks into the season, and we're already like – this happens every year, to be fair. But this is like – I think Hines is like a legitimate case to be fired because the Devils made so many moves in the offseason to put them in a chance to, like, really succeed. Um, and I think – they have the tools to do it. Their goaltending, I'm not sure on, um, but I, I, they should be better than what they are. And I really think that that's a huge story right now. But the Flyers at least are kind of benefiting from it. If they play more games, maybe they'll be able to benefit more from it. But it's been hard because they've only played a, a handful of games. So they really haven't had the chance to take advantage of that and put more points on the board and distance themselves from the Devils. Yeah, to me, one of the more interesting stories to start the season is how uninteresting or dull the central is right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, God, with the start, the, the stars, the Predators have been good, right? I mean, they've been pretty, they've been fine, I think. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The, the central is what usually people think of as like the deadliest division in the NHL because you've got like such a, like a crazy amount of stars in that, in that uh, division. They play such a high, fast tempo hockey, but yeah, I mean, Blackhawks haven't been that great. Uh, Minnesota, obviously, people are like, oh, are they on? Um, the Minnesota Miles. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an incredible nickname. I feel bad because I do – I'm partial to the city of Minnesota or the city of Minneapolis. My friend lives there. So um, I'm partial to that uh, – the Minneapolis-St. Paul area at the moment. But, um, yeah, it's a shame because, like, is Bruce Boudreau going to get fired? I don't think he is because he's in the last year of his contract. So I don't think – I think they'll just write it out. I don't think the Wild were – going to be contenders anyway. But, yeah, I mean, just it is interesting that the powers shift so uh, so fast in the NHL yeah. sometimes. Uh, but I, I think it's possible that they pull it together. Um, it's, it really is hard to make predictions on things and make actual grand statements about stuff when teams have played, like, 5 to 7% yeah. of the games so far. In the, like in their schedules, um, it really is like about sample size and stuff like that. And teams are still figuring each other out. I mean, they're, some teams are learning new systems. Goaltenders usually aren't as sharp as they are in, until like midseason or something like that. So I, I really think that things can change rapidly, especially with the amount of, the more amount of games played, the, the more we'll see teams start to rise and fall and stuff like that. So. Absolutely. And other than the Oilers, we haven't talked much about the Pacific. Mm-hmm. How do you see that shaking out? Um, well, if the Sharks can get it together, um, I think that they're up there. I mean, also the uh, the Golden Knights. Uh, I think I had them winning the Pacific, I think. Uh, so, I mean, they're looking good so far. I I, I thought it was also going to be like a three horse race between Calgary, um, the Golden Knights and the Sharks. So we'll see how that shakes out. 
Um, I mean, I know there's a lot of jockeying for position out there at the moment, uh, but I really think the Golden Knights might kind of run away with it. Um, they just, they're so good. And they've got like, they've got Marc-Andre Fleury who's been playing out of his mind for years. And I kind of wonder if unrelated to this, I kind of wonder if Pittsburgh maybe made the wrong move and, and trade it in like, that is 2020, but like, I, I wonder if they made the wrong, maybe keeping Matt Murray and giving away Flurry in that, in that, in, in that draft. I, I, I kind of wonder if maybe history won't be as kind to that. Cause I don't know if, I mean, I know Murray had like those good playoff performances, but I don't know if he's looked as good as he started out to be. So we'll see. That's kind of, I guess, my hot take prediction about Pittsburgh. I don't know if I'm allowed to have like an objective hot take about them since I'm a, I'm a Flyers <laughs> fan. Uh, so I don't know if, if like, if I can be objective, quote unquote, about the, about the Penguins. I mean, obviously I try to be, but I don't know if memory is as good as, uh, as good as the, as Penguins fans thought maybe. So. I wanted to ask about the Pacific Division. Is, yeah, sure. Are you surprised about Anaheim? Oh yeah, I am. Um, I obviously didn't. I didn't think they'd be yeah. as good as they currently are at the moment. Um, I also had them in kind of like a transitional yeah. year. Um, uh, but they do have a lot of like good pieces. I mean, they lost Corey Perry to the to the Stars, uh, but still, I mean, they. It's hard to say if they'll keep it up or not, but they have yeah. John Gibson and John Gibson. I think I had, I think when I did predictions on Fanset and I think I had Vasilevsky getting the, the Vezina, but I think John Gibson is right there and maybe could honestly take it by the end of the season. I think not to say that he's been underrated, but a lot of people don't know about him because he plays in Anaheim and most people are watching hockey on probably the East coast and paying and are probably falling asleep at 10:30 when those games come on. Cause you know, most people are working adults that have jobs and have to get up early. So it's tough to watch uh, John Gibson uh, wall people out. Um, and he's an incredible goalie. So I really think that if they have a chance in that division, it's going to be on John Gibson and a Vezina worthy performance from him. I think it's possible um, that that happens because uh, goaltenders are usually like a, a team's magic eraser. If even if they have like horrible defense and horrible, uh, like not great goaltending or not great uh, offense, if you know your goaltender can cause a shutout, it really isn't going to matter what the other team does. So I agree, and just the the change in coaching, I think that yeah. that definitely will help. Will help him. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That gives them a new a yes. new atmosphere. Yeah, and it gives it's like a new atmosphere with the team because the team has been stagnant. I mean. It, it really hasn't been – there really hasn't been much change or flash out of them recently. But Gibson, I think, is maybe the most exciting part about them that they were, he was. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens to them. And I kind of hope that they kind of – they succeed because Gibson's a great goaltender. And I really think he – if more people get exposed to him, they'll see how good he is. So, For sure. Uh, so – Speaking of the Pacific Division and going out west in general for the Flyers, mm-hmm. what deal do you think the Flyers have to make with the hockey gods in order to get a more favorable schedule next year? Well, I don't know. I mean, they might be sacrificing. We might have to sacrifice Gritty. I don't know. I don't know if that's a sacrifice <laughs> to make because I love Gritty and I don't think that's worth it. <sighs> It sucks. It really does suck to start out a season on the West Coast. You can't really generate a home buzz. You, The team is exhausted, too, probably. I mean, I don't do a bunch of travel, but I can only imagine what that type of travel is like. They had, like, a – they had how many time zones 
in like a couple of days, like it, that's a lot and traveling can take a lot out of you. And also you can get sick from it. So like, you know, it, players might, might not be playing at their best when they're on the West coast, but at the same time, I kind of understand why they, they do it at like why they have that at first, because you just, they, and you get it out of the way. And then when like, you get later down the line in the season, the games, I guess, start to matter more. I mean, all games count equally, but you can make an argument for both sides of being like, ah, oh, the games at the beginning of the season count because if you dig yourself too deep into a hole, you'll never be able to climb out. But the Flyers have done that in recent years, so that is possible. But then, of course, you put it at the end of the season or in near the middle, and you're like, well, now we're tired in the middle of the season when we're already tired. These stretch of games we kind of need to win because we're jacking for position in our uh, division. So there's a case to be made for both sides, but I, I know it sucks and it sucks to have to stay up late, especially now that I'm working a, a nine to five job where I can't stay up <laughs> all night and watch all these games and I feel tired <laughs> at like uh, 10 PM. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of like that they just get it out of the way early and then just don't have to do with it. Like, cause then they're the games, like you just you play games closer to home, like later down the later in the season. And it's not as bad as it could be. So I hear you. Well, thank you so much, Mary. This was amazing. I'm glad we were able to have you on the show. And hopefully we can check back in at some point, maybe a couple months down the line and see if your thoughts came true. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. You guys are great. Um, Love to be back anytime you guys want me. Welcome back once again to Locked On Flyers, your daily Flyers podcast on the Locked On Sports Network. You asked and we are answering. It's mailbag time. So our first question, within the Metro Division, which team is the most and least surprising? What do you think, Danielle? Okay, so I think I'm going to go with least surprising, and for me, it would be the New Jersey Devils. I think a lot of people were very high on the Devils because of the trades and the acquisitions that they made over the summer. But yeah, so I just think that even their top six doesn't really scare me. Um, their bottom six definitely doesn't scare me, and I their results so far, I'm not really surprised. I mean, they've won a couple more games than... Um, since the last time we saw them, but yeah, so far the Devils are the least surprising for me. The most surprising, I would probably say the Penguins, just because of all the injuries that they have and like they're still winning. So that's kind of surprising. I, I expected them to be losing with all of the injuries that they, they have. For me, I think Pittsburgh Definitely with those injuries, I did not expect them to be doing as well. At the same time, God, they always just somehow pull it together and that <laughs> bugs me to no end. Yeah. So in some way, like in some ways, I'm the least surprised by both of those teams that you just mentioned yeah. because I, I would have said that my most surprising team was the Devils. Okay. I did expect them to do a little bit better than they did. And I just thought all of those new pieces would bring them new energy, win them some more games earlier in the season that maybe they would then settle into mediocrity, yeah. but that they would start out really strong. 
Yeah, I think thing that the devils would do and the Flyers <laughs> would not do <laughs> because I'm so optimistic about the Flyers. But so I think that in some ways both of those teams are very surprising and not surprising at all. I would agree with that. Yeah. You know what um also I guess could be really surprising is the current play of Braden Holpe with the Capitals. Um I mean, the Capitals are yeah. still like winning games. Obviously, they're the Capitals. But well, when when John Carlson is scoring like <laughs> that and is the top points getter in the league I, at the time of this recording, it's that's a little like he's, insane. Like, what is it? He tied with Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> how is that? Like, how is that possible? Like, he should be regressing because of his age, and yet ten games in, he's like almost a two point per game player it's i mean when are the flyers yeah. gonna, like when Not, is something like that gonna happen to the flyers yeah we can only hope <laughs> wish and dream yeah yeah I mean, not to put any pressure on you cam york but i would like to see that you too. know <laughs> okay moving on to our question Small sample size, of course, but what do we think is the biggest difference between Alain Vigneault and Dave Haxtell? So, okay, I think there's two uh, big differences. Um, I think that the most obvious, well, I think one of the biggest differences is that, you know, the accountability um, between, like, you know, coach, player, and then how the coach handles the situation afterwards, reward players that are playing well and demote players that aren't playing well. And, you know, we saw that for, like, with Jake, Warcheck and how he was on the top, the second line, um, and then his play dwindled and he got moved down. Now he started playing a lot better and then AV moved him back up to the second line. Um, and I just feel like Hackstall would have never done that. He was just, you know, players could continue to play the same way and he would still keep them in the same, same position. Like he would not adjust the lineups until, you know, until like it didn't matter anymore. Um, if it were vet players, like now for younger players, he would just scratch them and not say anything. Um, so I think that, you know, accountability for the players that both coaches used to talk about that, but I think that AV actually does it. The second thing I would say would be communication. And I think communication just all around, like to the players, to the media, you know, to the fans, AV really does communicate his message, and he talks about how. But yeah, those are the two things that I've I've noticed: uh, accountability and communication. Yeah, I would agree with both of those things, and I think to add on to what you're saying, especially on the communication point, that you know, in our interview with Mary, she described Dave Haxtell as neutral, which made me think of neutral Janet from <laughs> The Good Place. Yeah. And he spoke in a very, just un, very unemotional tone, Yeah, I think. And you, you just didn't know whether he actually felt anything that he was saying, which was difficult to interpret. So it was hard to tell whether the consequences that you were talking about were actually meaningful or just, you know, pulling names out of a hat to put the lines together. 
Well, thanks for listening to today's show. We'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, We'll do a deep dive on another player on the roster, and it's Throwback Thursday. As a reminder, we have this mailbag each week, so send in your questions via Twitter at LockedOnFlyers or email us at LockedOnFlyers at gmail.com. And I'm Danielle. You can find me on Twitter at Danielle underscore Nick. That's Danielle underscore N-I-C-C. I'm Rachel, and I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. That's R-M-I-R-I-A-M. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the show, email us at LockedOnFlyers at gmail.com. And again, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.